My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I love concerts. Uh, Recently, my wife and I went to a concert here in Hillsborough at one of our newer parks, and she just put it on the calendar, and so I said yes, and I didn't really know what it was. I didn't investigate. The band was called Precious Bird with a Y, B-Y-R-D, okay? So I assumed, as an old person, it was going to include 12-string jangly guitars and a little bit of turn, 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 and we were going to feel a whole lot better when she was gone, okay? Now, that's what I thought. We showed up. It was a funk band, and I'm like, this is so much better. This was great. The bass was, it was just wonderful. I like concerts, and um, uh, this last spring, I took my family to go see Switchfoot. It was great. So my family's in the back, and and I'm looking, and Josiah's getting into it, and he plays bass, and I said, hey, you want to really experience the concert? He goes, yeah, Dad. I said, let's do this, and uh, we'll, we'll pretend. So you go up on the side of the Crystal Ballroom, which is a great place to have a concert, and you sneak up in the front there and you work your way because we have a friend up there and you make that connection. And then in a few minutes, I'll make my way through and go, I got to go get to my son. I know how this thing works. And so we get up there. We're right there under the stack. We had earplugs. Okay. But it was amazing to be able to see and feel the band up close. I love the energy of a live concert. I also know the damage that can happen with too many decibels. And so we had earplugs just to be sure. Uh, I, I study this because for many years people have said sunrise is too loud on the weekends the music's too loud so I have a decibel meter on my phone and I check it out and I just kind of study decibels here's here's a basically an idea of decibels all right if you don't kind of get it uh, basically you, you can't hear anything down below zero it's a threshold a pin dropping rustling leaves things like that conversational speech garbage you, you guys know what a garbage disposal sound like so you can get that or like a lawnmower, motorcycle ride, rock concert, 110. By the way, the loudest rock concert ever uh, recorded or monitored was over 141 decibels in Sweden. Okay, I guess it's so cold up there, they needed it louder to cut through the freezing air. Um, but uh, that's, that's dangerous all the way to the very end. And so at Sunrise, we run our weekend services around 85 to 90. I just found out it was 91, that song there, okay? So that's kind of in that range. Some people don't like it. They go, it's way too loud. And for you, two things. We love you, and we have earplugs, okay? I'll go to churches. I'll go to conferences, and it's not uncommon to hear, you know, like 100, 110 decibels. And I go, well, that's really loud. And, and so I like to study this. This last week, I thought, I'm just going to do a little study. How loud is my world? Well, it was my wife's birthday this week. Actually, it was kind of like every night this week because we had different dinners and things like that. Uh, we went out to the Cheesecake Factory. I don't know where Bo and Kendra are, but thank you for that. And uh, I monitored that. I don't know if you know that. I didn't record what we were talking about, but I monitored 75 decibels. 
just sitting there at a restaurant at Washington Square, 75 decibels. Now, when you think about that, that's between a dishwasher and a garbage disposal. It seems loud, doesn't it? But I just, just sat there. It was about 70, 75 decibels. And then the next night, uh, we went to Benihana, my wife and I, and it was 85 decibels. But you can understand that because the guy's talking and throwing the silverware and the steak up in the air and things like that, right? And, and you know, with that shaker alone, is like 150 decibels when he shakes it, right? Well, I thought, okay, what are some of the more uh, calm ones? So I thought, okay, I'll uh, drive to the library. Well, I, driving in my car, it was 85 decibels. I was shocked how loud it was in my car. No radio on, nothing. Got to Hillsborough Main Library, it was 40 decibels. Now, that's kind of loud. So I recorded the next morning at my house at 5 in the morning. Just me and my breakfast, a cup of coffee, my Bible, 30 decibels. I thought, what is causing 30 decibels? I just couldn't hear it, right? Then my cat jumped up, started purring, it went to 50 decibels. (laughs) I think that our world is loud. I think it's louder than we realize we have incessant noise, whether it's from television, Netflix, YouTube, whether it's from our phones, our devices, connected to Bluetooth speakers in our homes. Somehow we have gotten accustomed to a very loud culture. And I think it's dangerous for us. Now, obviously, it's dangerous on the level of your hearing because you can cause permanent damage on your, in your hearing. I mean, you, you, you watch some of those old 60 rockers, the Pete Townsends, God bless him, he's still alive, I think. You know, he doesn't look alive, but he's alive, but he can't hear a thing, right? They can't hear a thing. Why? Because they were next to Marshall Stacks for all those years. You can damage your hearing. But I think we can also do that in another way. We can do damage when all we experience is just loud noises. I watched an article uh, or a little interview a couple years ago, ABC. It was uh, by Bernie Krause. Man-made noise has impact on natural habitat. And this guy has spent his whole career recording nothing but nature noises. Back in 1968, uh, he, he started recording for movies and film, television. And he said it took 15 hours of going out to the nowheres just out to the, the wilderness, to the quiet places. 15 hours, he said, it took to get one hour of pristine sound. Now it takes him 2,000 hours of recording to get one quiet nature sound. Isn't that crazy? We don't recognize it because it has come up slowly. And he had a warning for us in this little documentary. He says, we have to stop it. He said, we have to quiet down America. But we just don't know how loud it is anymore. We just don't recognize it because we've gotten accustomed to it. And I would say, I would argue the same thing is true spiritually. We have to quiet down. We have to knock it off. We have to realize that all of the noise in our lives make it very difficult to hear God. There's this really cool story in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 19, where Elijah, the prophet of God, he is on a mission to seek the Lord, to hear from the Lord, to kind of get a word from the Lord. He's had this amazing, miraculous experience with the prophets of Baal, and it's a great story. But as he runs down and he gets to the mountain of God, where uh, God delivered the Ten Commandments to Moses, he gets there and he wants to hear from the Lord, so he's waiting to hear from the Lord. 
And as he's waiting to hear from the Lord, uh, several loud things show up. This is the, uh, the first one. The first one is this windstorm. And the, the scripture records that it was so loud that the rocks are shaking and breaking in two. It's so loud, this windstorm. But guess what? The Lord didn't speak through the windstorm. And then the next thing that happens is this earthquake. And this earthquake is just loud. And that's, that's really loud. I mean, it's a loud, it's 110, 115 decibels, right? But the Lord did not speak in the earthquake. And, and then next, we have this firestorm. And this fire rages by. It's about 100 decibels or so. And, but the Lord is not speaking through that. And he wants to hear from the Lord. And the next thing he hears is this. A, just a quiet whisper. The voice of God. And he hears it and the Lord speaks to him. He says, Elijah, why are you here? I think that's an amazing example for you and for me of how we somehow expect, I definitely include myself in this, to live in a va- very loud world and expect God to shout above the noise to get our attention. When it could just be that the Lord is speaking and we can't hear him because we have surrounded ourselves with so much activity, so much noise that we generate in life. We've been in this series on the Sabbath and enjoying God's gift of Sabbath. I've been in situations where I've hung out with pastors and they go, what are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on the Sabbath. And they're a little afraid of that, you know? I mean, that's not a religious thing though. I'm not talking about the Sabbath as a religious rule. The Jewish people had that. It was very clear. It was commanded. But the Sabbath, this idea of ceasing all work, however you define work, every seventh day wasn't a Jewish idea. It was a God idea from the very beginning of creation. God rested, he ceased, and he declared that day holy. And so every seventh day, God wants us to be refreshed and to, just to stop. Not as a religious activity, really, but as a relational activity. And so over these weeks, we've been talking about what that might look like. And today, I want to wrap it up by talking about the Sabbath as reflection. And I want to kind of just journey through this thought because we live in the loudest culture ever. So I wrote down some thoughts. I wrote down some questions for you and for me. Do you ever feel like the still small voice of the Lord is distant? Have you ever said, I just don't hear the Lord. Do you wish you could turn up the Lord's voice so he could be heard over the din of our noisy world? I know I have. Could there be a connection between the amount of noise, activity, busyness we allow in our lives and our inability to actually hear and see the Lord? I know I've experienced that. Here's one. It's a little threatening. Could it be that we are far more comfortable surrounding ourselves with activity and noise than actually slowing down, being quiet, and learning to listen? Are we waiting to hear the voice of the Lord above the windstorms, the earthquakes, the fires, when God is speaking in a still, small voice? In the Bible, you see... uh, a variety of ways God wants to communicate and speak with us. And just a a cursory view of the Bible, you see these regular practices of the people of God getting to speak to the Lord and hear from the Lord. And the first one 
is uh, this. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. So the idea is that we're to always be in constant tune with God, like a radio. You dial it in and you got to, if you're traveling every once in a while, you got to adjust it just a little bit. There's interference. There's other noises. You got to adjust the volume. God says that we are to be in a constant communication with him. Pray without ceasing. That at any time we could pray, not just when we're driving, you know, not before, before a test, not before a conflict, but just at any time we're in this mode where, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Um, I've started to practice this over the years as a friend of mine, uh, D, he's talked to me about praying for people as you see them. And so this last week in the restaurant, uh, the, the waitress, the gal was there and I just, as she'd go by, just pray for her, start a conversation with her. Just think about her. I have no idea who she is, what's going on in life, but just pray for people. I'll be standing, you know, in line somewhere. Just, just start pray for people. Like what, Lord, what, 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 what could I think about for that person? Is there something going on? Or in those moments, like, Lord, what do you want to say? When scripture verses come back in my mind, just pray them back. Lord, what are you, what are you saying through that? This constant conversation. That's how God wants us to communicate with him. But also then we see this daily time. Now we in our Christian world today call it a quiet time, but it's this idea of regularly connecting with God, of shutting everything out, of getting away. Jesus did this, David did this, Daniel did this, had dedicated times. A lot of people do this. Jewish people do this, Muslims do this. A lot of cultures do this where they say, I'm gonna dedicate a time just to be with God. It's a good habit to be in because... Oftentimes our lives get so busy, we just forget and days go by. We don't have it, right? For me, it's in the morning. Get up in the morning. Just have that quiet time with God. But one that we don't often think about is this regular getaway, have an extended time with God, almost like a retreat where we go away. We see varying people in the Bible do this. Uh, Nehemiah does this. There's this whole journey he's going to go on, and he prays and he fasts and he does this. Um, I started my job at uh, Conservative Baptist Northwest in August. The very first week was just for me a, a week of prayer and fasting. I went to work, but nobody knew. I was just praying through 255 churches in the Northwest and leaders, pastors, and I just prayed through lists every day and I just fasted because I wanted to devote a time. I had a lot of activity going on around, but you know that first week on a new job, you stand around going like, why are they paying me? I have no idea what's going on, you know? You got training, you got keys, you got assignments, you got papers you fill out. But after a while, you're like, I don't know what my job is, you know? So I said, I'm going to dedicate that to the Lord. And so I did that. And it was amazing because I could start really just focusing, you know? Um, Jesus did this. Jesus went away. Jesus withdrew often. And he just got away to be with God in an extended time to hear from the Lord. Uh, Moses did this. He went up on a mountain to hear from the Lord, right? And so this idea of taking an extended time away to be with God is something that has, I, I really believe, has radically changed my life when I do it. And it is a struggle to do it. Um, here are some examples from the life of Jesus. Uh, just two of them. Uh, one is from Mark 1. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Mark's a, a really good gospel. It's fun because he's always moving. And he presents Jesus as a servant who's just continually going. And so his favorite word is immediately and immediately and immediately. And Jesus just on the go. He's like hyperactive Jesus, ADD Jesus, you know what I mean? And so Jesus is going and going and going. But Mark records specifically after constant activity of teaching and preaching and loving and healing that Jesus got up early in the morning and got away and quiet. 
And the other gospels record these times. Here's one from Luke, uh, Luke 5. But despite Jesus' instructions, he had just healed a guy and said, don't tell anybody. The report of his power spread even faster and vast crowds came to him to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I think there is a sickness inside of each of us. And the sickness goes like this. People need me. And so therefore I can't stop. Because these people need me. They need what I have. Now if you're a mom, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like your kids need you. That's totally legitimate. If you decided to check out for a day, that would not be good and healthy for your kids, right? But in the spiritual realm, in an emotional, relational realm, that could be a dangerous thought. Because if you start to think, well, I can't slow down because, and you list all of your necessary responsibilities that correlate with other people's needs, you might find yourself in danger because it might not be about serving them. It might be about you getting your fix of serving other people. And somehow in the midst of Jesus' crazy busy world, I mean, just think about it. All that Jesus did, all that Jesus said, he regularly stopped and he took time out of his schedule and he withdrew from the constant barrage of needs. And just let me stop here. Jesus was the one who could solve everybody's problems. He really could, right? He could heal, he could speak, he could hear, he knew exactly what was going on in people. And even Jesus withdrew. And we don't have those powers to know, right? We don't know exactly what's going on in those moments. But Jesus said no, so he could say yes. And why can't we do that? Why don't we do that as people? Throughout the gospels, Jesus withdraws and he spends time with his heavenly father. Now, over 30 years ago, when I was in college, I picked up this little book called How to Spend a Day in Prayer. Here's a picture of it. Lauren Sani, Navigators, um, cool glasses and hair, if you ask me. Okay, all right. Uh, this, this was taken, I think, in the 60s. Uh, he wrote this book. Uh, this, this version came out in the 80s, hence the lovely colors. And I think I had to do this for an assignment in one of my spiritual formation classes. I don't remember, but I did it, and it scared me. The very thought of getting away a whole day in prayer. For, I mean, I thought, probably like you, I thought a whole, I mean, I could pray for a couple of minutes, you know? I could find a prayer list, uh, but I mean, 15 minutes, 20 minutes? You know, how am I gonna pray a whole day? I'm gonna get bored, right? I'm gonna get sleepy, right? I'm gonna get distracted. My brain is gonna be wired with all my homework, with all the other things that I have to do. I mean, how am I gonna, you know, relate to God for a whole day? And if you want this, you can grab this. It's a PDF online. You could just search for it, how to spend a day in prayer, Lauren Sani, or email me. I'll send it to you. And he gives very practical ways. And so with that homework assignment, I started a practice of about every month marking out of my calendar, blacking out of my calendar a day just to go away and spend with God. Sometimes it's half day, sometimes it's six hours, sometimes it's eight hours. Sometimes because of decisions and because of pressures, it's two days, go overnight somewhere. And just to spend a day with God, what would it look like for you to have a a, a special Sabbath, an extra Sabbath where you just get away with the Lord? I believe that this was part of the power 
that enabled Jesus to do what he did. He dedicated time to solitude. He dedicated time to silence. You cannot miss the fact that Jesus was not just a very busy person, but a very important person. He had crowds relying upon him. They were hungry. He fed thousands. Physically, he fed them. Spiritually, he fed them. He ministered to their needs. He was up late at night, healing. He was teaching. He was in homes. He was out on the water. He was up on the hillsides. He was active in pouring out his life for other people. There's no question about that. The word of Jesus would spread as he and his disciples would walk along. Oh, yeah, he spent a lot of time with his disciples, by the way, and he taught them. And as they would go into a town, crowds would line the road to greet him like you would a king. And they would welcome him. All kinds of people, religious, irreligious, the hurting, the broke, the least, the last, and the loss of the culture. And they just wanted to get a touch from Jesus. They wanted to hear a word from Jesus. They really desperately needed what Jesus had to offer. And as he came in and did that, he then would withdraw. And a regular habit in the life of Jesus was to say, It's time to get away. Sometimes he would take his disciples away and sometimes he himself would go away and he would just spend a day in prayer. He would just get away. And so as I began to do that throughout the years, I began to realize that Jesus did this before major times in his life. If you think about it, Jesus withdrew for 40 days and nights before he even began his public ministry. And there was prayer and there was fasting and there was temptation, but it was an extended time away before he began all his work. He did this before he made important decisions. You see this when he chose his disciples. He stayed up all night before. He was in prayer. Um, When he had to deal with the constant demands of the crowds pressing in, ministering to others, when he experienced his own grief by looking ahead at the cross, he withdrew from the crowds. He grabbed his dearest friends and he went to a garden to pray and he went even further and prayed over and over again. So, Why do we think we can live well and love well if we don't allow God to refresh us well like Jesus had? A couple years ago, I sat with uh, one of our Sunrise guys and, and we just talked about his life and how things were going and the overwhelming stress and anxiety in his life. And he serves well, amazing servant. And I think it was over breakfast and I just looked over, I said, you know what you have? You have compassion fatigue. He's like, what's that? I said, oh, let me tell you about compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue is what happens when you serve people so much that you start to wrap your identity up in them and they desperately need you and you desperately need them. And one day you grow bitter and pained as you serve people and love them. And one day you don't even love the people you serve. Because you have worn yourself out. It's an actual medical condition. It's part of post-traumatic stress of some people. People in the medical profession, doctors, nurses get it. People in the ministry profession get it. As we go and we serve people, and we have a constant barrage of people that come around with needs, which is great, which is wonderful. If we don't take care of ourselves, physically, emotionally, spiritually, we will run out of ourselves And we will forget the very reason why we serve people and love people. Um, I grabbed this this morning because I thought about this. I think people are like rubber bands. Uh, Different sizes, different colors. We all have a purpose, though. And it's fine to be stretched. It's good to be stretched. We're made to be stretched. I think when God stretches us, it's when we really learn. But after a while, 
if you extend too much stretch on a rubber band, you know what'll happen. It'll snap, it'll break, right? And I think the same thing is true in compassion fatigue. I think when you think about the ministry of our lives here at this church, we are a church that one of our deepest desires is to serve the least, the last, and the lost. You heard it just in the testimony of going down to Beaumont. You've heard it in testimonies of going to Hurricane Katrina, of going to schools and backpacks and serving people, of our homeless shelter, of our homeless ministry, of the apartment complex just down the road that had a fire where we're serving people and putting them up in hotels, where people come in every day of every week and have needs. And it's great that we do that. It is exactly what we should be doing. But I think there's a danger in that. Not in the programs, but in the people. And if you're in that, think about this for just a minute. When was the last time you said no? And you just said, I know there's a need and a constant need, but I need a day off of that. And that sounds really selfish, incredibly selfish, especially when people are right in front of you. But Jesus himself said, the poor will always be with us. We could never have enough money in our mercy fund to feed all the people that are hungry in Hillsboro. Never, never. And so we have to say no sometimes when people call. And sometimes people get really angry. Then I wonder, well, maybe we never really helped them in the first place, you know. People come in for counseling. There's a never-ending stream of people who need hope. Funerals, weddings, hospital visits. Those are wonderful things, amazing ways to minister. Just walking and talking to people, sitting down with them and asking them about their story. But if you are not careful, if I am not careful, as a servant of God, as a shepherd over others, if we do not monitor our own emotional and spiritual health, we might be doing it to the detriment of our very ministry. And then we burn out. And somehow Jesus found a way to stop his crazy busy life. Why can't we do that? Are we more important than Jesus? Are the needs of the people around us more important than the needs of the people around Jesus 2,000 years ago? What does it take to stop? One of my Sabbath rhythms is to take a day off about once a month. Sometimes I go to Forest Park. I go walk Wildwood Trail. It's one of my favorite places to go. It's great. Sometimes I'll drive down to Salem, go to Corbin University. It's a nice hill. I went to school there. I just walk around and pray, go to the coffee shop. I take a notebook. I take my Bible, take a pen, that's about all. Sometimes I'll just hop on my bike and I'll ride to the coast and just, just getting away, you know, motorcycle, not my bicycle, thank you. <clears throat> You're a stud if you do that. I honor you. Me, I just hit the throttle and go. Put the earplugs in and just, just shut the noise off around me. Years ago, when I was living in Boise, I had a friend who had a cabin up in the woods. I would just go up there and spend a day or two days, just take a Bible and a notebook and a pen. I'd take a guitar and a songbook, and I would just walk. There's something amazing that happens when you just walk. Writers love it. It's documented that some of the greatest writers would just go for walks. This is how I describe it. It's kind of clunky, but I think in the busyness of my life and the crazes of my life, all these ideas and these things just get 
clogged in my head and my heart and my soul. And then when I take a day of just silence, and it is silence, no stimulation, just walking and talking, whatever is going on. It's like by the half day, man, my pen is just going furiously. And it's a pen. It's not my iPhone. I leave that in the car, you know. I just write. And it's like I've allowed space in my heart and these ideas start to tumble out. I get the greatest ideas. I think God speaks in those moments when we say no to the activity. So here's something I wrote down for you. It's in our sermon notes on the way out if you want to take it. It's like how to spend a day alone with God. I would challenge you to add an extra Sabbath, not for religious purposes, but for relational purposes, for you and God and just you and you. And just get away. There are places all around you. We got parks everywhere. We are blessed in the Northwest. Liz and Jess yesterday having lunch with them. They were just commenting how beautiful it is here. And you don't have to go five hours to get away. You can go 30 minutes. You can go to Rock Creek Trail. Deeply embedded in the heart of our city. You can go just all around. And so questions though. Space. Where will you go? You don't have to go far. You really don't. Cooper Mountain, you could go there. It's a great preserve there. You go to Jackson Bottom. It's a wonderful place to walk and see some eagles and some other things. It's great. Just just get around. Uh, Solitude. How will you retreat? Because that's the word, retreat. Some of us have a hard time shutting down. What will it take you to actually gain space for solitude? By letting people know you will not be able to contact me this day. If a meteor is going to hit the earth, I'll probably find out when everybody else does. So don't worry about it, okay? All right. I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm going to turn off for 12 hours. Silence. What will you have to turn off? I mean, we can put our phones on airplane mode, right? But you can still play Tetris or backgammon. You can still check Facebook status if you carry it with you, right? because you're important and you have followers that you need to tweet, right? What will you have? Well, you know what? I think one of the hardest things to shut off is our brain because we're just filled with stuff, right? But when you do this on a regular basis, you start to slow down and you learn how to do it. Silence, what we have to turn off, schedule. What will you do? I've got on our sermon notes page a sample day from like nine to five, just a good practice day. What will you do? Me, I read, I go through the Psalms, I start writing thoughts. I'm not a journal guy. I, I've never been able to be a journal guy. I like journal guys. I wish I were a, journal, were a journal guy. I'm not. I write the same thing over and over again. I'm a boring guy when it comes to that. But after a while, I just start writing and ideas come. And then the last one, soul. What elements will you include? You know the cool thing about being out on the Wildwood Trail, like mile 10 or 12, there's nobody else out there. And you can sing and nobody will hear you, and you'll sound awesome. (laughs) Better than in the shower, guaranteed. You can go out there. You can quote scripture. You can just read aloud. You can sit down, find a bench somewhere, and just just read. For me, I I read out loud. It helps me. There's something weird about reading the Bible out loud, and it kind of comes back at me. You know what I mean? I hear it differently as I read it differently that way. Or just having quiet. You know what I do sometimes? I take a nap. Shh. Doesn't sound very spiritual. Even though I know Jesus took a nap in the boat. Okay, he was exhausted. 
Sometimes that's the most spiritual thing you can do is just take a nap, right? But you have a time when you say, I have to do this. Some of you are very type A, AA people, right? You're just so aggressive. I'm in that boat. And slowing down once a month changes everything for me. It's threatening, though, to take a day with God alone. It's dangerous because you find out you're not as important as you think you are. You find out that other people will go to somebody else when they have a need. It threatens your very identity when you realize you can check out and the world keeps spinning. Um, a couple quotes that have helped me and encouraged me. This first one's from uh, Bonhoeffer. Dietrich says, uh, we are so afraid of silence that we chase ourselves from one event to the next in order not to have to spend a moment alone with ourselves. This was written, you know, in the 30s and 40s. So this is a long time ago. This is before the internet. In order not to have to look at ourselves in the mirror, right? How many of our phone addictions are just because we have to keep going so we don't stop? Because the silence is deafening. This one from... Dallas Willard. If you don't come apart for a while, you will come apart after a while. I like that. It's kind of pithy, but that's cool, right? I mean, think about it this way. If, if you're the kind of person that has a nonstop busy life, that may not be the sign of a disordered schedule. It might be the sign of a disordered heart. And then this one from Henry Nouwen. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Solitude, that's what we're talking about. Silence, just getting away. Solitude begins with a time and place for God and him alone. If we really believe not only that God exists, but also that he is actually present in our lives, healing, teaching, and guiding, we need to set aside a time and space to give him our undivided attention. And you don't have to be, no disrespect intended, a monk. You don't have to be a nun. You don't have to be a priest at Mount Abbey. By the way, I, I used to go to Mount Abbey because they'll rent you a room. Back then it was like six bucks and it was completely quiet because you don't talk and you just go there and you spend the whole day and you can eat there and just be there and walk and talk to yourself and to God in quiet. What would it look like for you and for me to get away? Um, my new job provided me a new car and I found out it, it was recommended. They said, get this car. I said, sure, I'll get this car. It's fine. They gave it to me. So I'll take whatever they give me. It's great. And it's a brand new Subaru Forester. I found out that it's the number five car for reliability out of all the cars. In the top five, it's number five uh, for most passionate, dedicated worshipers of Subarus, uh, which there are a whole lot in the Northwest. Okay. And um, I've been driving it now number of weeks, and I understand why, because it's, it's a nice car. It's great. But the average mileage life of a Subaru Forester is 250,000 miles. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. I saw on Facebook uh, yesterday, Mike uh, Keller posted 300,000 miles on his Toyota. 300,000. So I asked him, how did you get 300,000? He said, synthetic oil and follow the maintenance schedule. I'm like, wow, well, there's something to be learned right there, my friends. Think about a motor. Think about an engine. Tolerance is so tight. Machinery flying by at thousands of RPMs constantly as you drive down the road. 
You know, the only thing that keeps it from burning up? Oil. Oil, just a little thin layer of oil getting into the cracks and crevices, working its way through that motor, keeping it cool, keeping it running, keeping it from metal on metal grinding to the point of destruction. I think that little thin oil is what Sabbath should be about for our lives. That if you and I were to follow the maintenance schedule that God has written out in the book, right, of every seventh day, just stop. Last week, I talked about rhythms of Sabbath, developing some of those, this one being the measure monthly. I said, for me, it's divert daily every morning, just have a time with God, Um, withdraw weekly, have a a Sabbath, just as for me, a Saturday, uh, time with family, things like that. Measure monthly. That's what I'm talking about today. Measure monthly. Once a month or so, get away and just have enough quiet to where God can speak to you shutting out everything else so you can hear from the Lord. Because if Jesus did it, and I would argue Jesus needed to do it, then why don't we do it? I think God is waiting for us to go for a walk. He's waiting for us to shut down all the electronics, to put them away, and to take a dangerous journey of silence and solitude. He's invited us like he invited Adam and Eve to walk in the garden and talk with him. And I would urge you to do it. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the model example of Jesus, not just that he loved us so much that he died on the cross for our sins, not only that he would carry the burden of our sin guilt so that we could be free, so that we could relate to you, not in a burden religion, but in a beautiful relationship. God, thank you for Jesus and this example of him withdrawing to be with you should be the model we strive for, but not as another religious burden, as a relational blessing, not as a duty, but as a delight where we come to experience you in the quietness that's really hard. And there's a lot competing for our attention. And there are so many needs. And God, it's possible some of us have compassion fatigue. Cause us to find the will to just say no and to go for a walk with you. Our God and our Savior, our Heavenly Father, we pray in your name. Amen.